You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Find the local community group in your area so that you can do these exchanges in person. If you don't feel safe, do it at a police station. Then you can actually see the formula, get it, inspect the expiration date, see if it's been opened, and then you can do the exchange there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, we are joined by Mallory Safoste. She is a reporter at Baltimore's WMAR2 News, and she's going to be sharing some of the recent scams that she's been covering. All right, Joe, before we get to our stories this week, we got a little bit of follow-up here. Uh, You want to take us through what we got? Sure. It's some follow-up from Robert who writes, Hi, Dave and Joe. You had some interesting comments regarding mobile phones and technical means to block robocalls. I was interested to hear what you in the U.S. have at your disposal. Apparently, Robert's not from the U.S. Oh, he says <laughs> in the next sentence, I'm writing from Canada. There you and, go. That's right. <laughs> your, your powers of observation, Joe, are just... Uh... <laughs> right. Woohoo! <laughs> And I'm with one of the big three cell carriers up here. My carrier has a couple of free options that I've implemented on both my phone and my wife's phone and my home phone, which now uses cellular technology. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, We still use a wired phone. We don't use a a cellular phone here, but it's interesting that there could be a home phone with the cellular technology. Why wouldn't that be the case? Mm -hmm. Um, Interesting. But I digress as I often do. Mitigation number one, or, or or security feature number one, he enabled port protection. Now, first time I heard this, I'm thinking firewall port? What? But no, <laughs> uh, there's a note on file with his carrier that any attempt to port our numbers to another carrier or to a SIM or to or to do a SIM swap will result in a verification call to the number on file. Porting of the number will not be allowed without explicit authorization from the call from the carrier. So you have to, in other words, the carrier has to receive a yes answer when they make that outbound call. Right. Yes. If the bad guys have their hands on the physical device, they might be able to bypass this. But if they have their hands on my physical device and I have bigger problems, which is right. true. Right. Um, it, it, it's, that's a good point. It is, it is, there is a way around it, but you know, there is no such thing as 100% secure system. Uh, the next control is enable call control. I need to sign on to my mobility account and define what numbers friends and family can bypass call control. All other calls are intercepted by an authorized service that tells the call that I have call control enabled, and they need to press a number on their keypad to allow the call to go through. Interesting. I've never heard of this service in the U.S. Have you, Dave? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, you know, I in our last show we were talking about this, the the app that I use has screening, uh, right. and I think so there are a number of things that, that do that. So this seems like a variant on that. Yeah, well, this is this is interesting because the number that the person is asked to enter varies. So it can't be pre-programmed. So it's kind of like a random number. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. This blocks most robocalls. Unfortunately, we have legislation in place to allow political parties to bypass call control, <laughs> which is yeah. fantastic, right? I know, right? Uh, <laughs> so there are too many calls during elections, but I can enter numbers I want to bypass the call control as well as numbers I want blocked all the time. Surely U.S. carriers can implement something like this, uh, which I would agree with. They, uh, mm-hmm. This would be great. Call control would be fantastic. I would enable that right now. Uh, yeah. Port protection, we have a PIN on our account. Uh, the people have to know the PIN. But if there's a data breach from our provider where, where the, the PIN is breached, then uh, they they have that capability. So I would like the ability to have them make the outbound call as well. Mm-hmm. That would be nice. Uh, yeah. Robert says, cheers from the Great White North. Um, you know, every time I hear the phrase Great White North, I hear that in Getty Lee's voice. <laughs> I hear Duck and Ray say, take off, you hoser. Right. <laughs> yes. And then, yes. There was that song, that whole song they did with getting oh, yeah. me doing backing vocals. And that's what yes. I hear. Yes. I remember it well. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to Robert for writing into us. And of course, we would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to address on the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, let's uh, jump into our stories this week. Uh, My story, I'm actually tracking, as we record this, uh, this is a new phishing scheme that I've seen several high-profile people reporting on Twitter. Really? Uh, Yeah, uh, saw some reporters, uh, folks in media. Um, The the first one that I saw really clearly documented was uh, a gentleman named Brian J. Jones, uh, who is a best-selling author. Uh, he's written a number of uh, biographies. He's written the um, biographies of Jim Henson, of George Lucas, and Dr. Seuss. Uh, really good writer, so uh, I highly recommend uh, his books. Uh, he's also fun to follow on Twitter. Um, and uh, he writes about how he very—he says, I very nearly had my Twitter account hijacked yesterday by a very convincing phishing scheme. Uh, here's how it worked. He got a DM— from a legit verified account, and he says it was probably another account that had been hijacked, telling me my verified status had been flagged and that I would lose verification unless I clicked a link to appeal. Now, uh, just I'll say this is who they seem to be targeting. They're going after people who have those verified check marks on their accounts. Right. Uh, and the direct message says, it says, Twitter from Twitter verified support, case number, hello, Brian J. Jones. Your verified badge Twitter account has been reviewed as inauthentic by our team. We understand how valuable the verified blue badge is to you. I think that's an important part of this, Joe, is that the right. the folks who have those verified check marks, they love their verified check marks. <laughs> Boy, I wish I could get one, Dave. <laughs> and I say that with only a hint of bitterness that I have right. not been able to get one. Uh, <laughs> I have tried. I have tried twice and have been turned down. Both times, even though by my estimation, I should be eligible. Anyway, yes, uh, <laughs> aren't many of our peers in this in this in this area verified? That's right. Graham Cluley has a check mark. Yeah. What about Jack Recider? Does he have a check mark? He does not. He does okay. not. Okay. No. <laughs> but right, well, do. if Jack's but not getting I, one, I you're I not. I do not getting. either. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so. Um, uh, the, the message goes on and it says, please appeal using the form below. Otherwise, your verified badge may be deleted. And then there is a link. And, of course, it is a link shortening link. So it's a tiny URL. So 
you know, at first glance, can't tell who it's from. Uh, Brian writes, he says, I didn't even consider it was a scam. I clicked on the sender and it was a verified account, which I later saw was a hijacked New York Times reporter account with a profile all about working for Twitters and so on. So I followed the link, which had me re-log in and submitted a quick appeal. And then Brian goes on to say, it did seem weird enough that I screenshot the message and sent it to my brother, a programmer with a good eye, and said, well, this is weird. He immediately called and texted me to say, the call's coming from inside the house. <laughs> right. <laughs> and to change his password immediately. Right. Uh, and at this point, Brian had already put his credentials in. Yeah. Uh, so he was worried that his account would be compromised. But fortunately, he had uh, multi-factor authentication enabled. Okay, and good. That's what that's what saved the day ultimately. Um, because of the multi-factor, they weren't able to to get in and, and grab his account. So, so here's Brian, here's an example here. Uh, this is an, ex- an exact example of the use case uh, of the threat model, rather that we are advising against when we say use multi-factor authentication. Because um, Brian uh, went to this website, this fake website, entered his username and password, uh, mm-hmm. and. And then was able to enter this this fake complaint or this fake uh, appeal in this fake form, uh, right. but these guys were not able to get into his account because he had multi factor authentication on. So they had his username and password, but they couldn't access his account, which is good yeah. news for Brian. Yes, absolutely. So a couple, you know, take homes here. Obviously, as you say, multi factor, you know, saved the day here. So I, we say it. <laughs> Till we're blue in the face, right. uh, blue check mark in the face, that uh, you should uh, absolutely <laughs> enable it wherever you can. If it's something that's important to you and it's available, enable the multi-factor authentication. Um, but I also thought this was worth uh, highlighting because this seems to be a very active campaign and they're going after these verified people who presumably are more high-profile people, more uh, valuable accounts. So yeah. if you're in that category in particular or if you know people who are, uh, try to spread the word about this because this one is going on as we speak. I just uh, did a little search and found out that Matthew Green is uh, a verified Twitter account. Mm, okay. The cryptographer that we have at Hopkins. Very good. Very yeah, good. Verified Twitter account. Yeah. But not yeah. us, Dave. Not us. Not us. No, no. We're just, just down Anybody on Twitter our- listening? Right. Well, what probably hell happen now is we'll get a bunch of phishing messages offering to get us verified, (laughs) right? Right. Uh, You can't win, Joe. You just can't win. No, you can't. Uh. (laughs) But but we have multi-factor enabled, so. Yes. (laughs) That's right. All right. (laughs) That is my story this week, Joe. What do you got for us? Dave Robert mentioned that uh, uh, elections are happening soon. Right, it's an election mm-hmm. year here in the U.S. Uh, do you give money to national political candidates? Uh, rarely. rarely, I have, but I, I wouldn't say it's part of my regular routine. No, me neither. I don't know that I've ever given money to a presidential candidate or even someone running for a national office. I've given mm-hmm. money to people running for local offices. Yes, uh, but that's about it. What about PACs, political action committees? Do you support PACs? No, no, <laughs> no. I I find them distasteful. So okay. No. Well, let me uh, let me uh, give give you a little bit of, of a little bit of good news. There's a California man by the name of Robert Rees Jr. Uh-huh. Uh, who is who has just pleaded guilty to fraud, uh, wire fraud specifically, B- 
because he was operating two political action committees. One was called the Liberty Action Group PAC, and the other was called the Progressive Priorities PAC, right? These seem like they're very different-minded PACs, right? Yeah. On the face of them. Uh, They solicited contributions from the public via robocalls and television and radio and internet advertising. This guy was flooding the market with advertising uh, and then robocalling. But the two PACs represented the, uh, that the contributions would be going to support dueling presidential uh, nominees of the two major political parties, respectively. Mm. But guess He's what? playing both sides. <laughs> That's right. He's, why okay. not play both sides? Sure. Right? Yeah. If you're, if you're going to do this. Well, An the equal total, opportunity scammer. That's right. The total amount that he <laughs> donated to legitimate political causes was $19. Oh. And that's out of $3.5 million in contributions that he raised. Mm-hmm. So $3.5 million. Low percentage. <laughs> right. Yes, that's right. Those are some high administrative costs, Joe. There are some high administrative costs uh, associated with, with this. And this this uh, this is coming out as a press release from the Justice Department. So I'm looking at hmm. uh, at justice.gov for this this press release. But Politico also has an interesting story about it. Uh, it just kind of outlines it. But uh, Reeves pleaded guilty in the Western District or Western uh, District of Western Texas, the Western hmm. District of Texas. That's how these things are broken up. Um, mm-hmm. And he had a couple of conspirators along with him, Matt Toonstall and Kyle Davies. And according to the department, Reyes admitted that the two packs were false and misleading representation of robocalls. One of the things that he did was he pocketed about $714,000 raised himself. Uh, and then in another, in another event, what he did was he, uh, he had a company that was doing the robocalls. Uh, he sent them too much money for one of their bills. And mm-hmm. when, and then asked them in order to give it back in order to refund the extra money, put it in these other accounts. They're actually owned by my shell corporations. Right. Oh. So he is, he was sending this money out to to be essentially laundered back to him. So it looks mm-hmm. like from his pack, I spent this money on robocalls, and then the robocall company just sends the money back to him in other hopefully untraceable amounts. But of course, the Department of Justice found these amounts because uh, <laughs> right, you know, one of right. one of the things it's what you they have to, do right exactly <laughs> the. Uh, when when I when I talk to people who are looking for careers in law enforcement, they say they want to work for the FBI. I say you need to get one of two degrees if you want to yeah. work for the FBI tomorrow. You need to get a computer science degree or you need to get an accounting degree. If you get huh. one of those two degrees, the FBI will hire you tomorrow so long as you pass the background investigation. Huh. No questions asked. They'll be like, okay, well, there no, there not no questions. There are a lot of questions they ask. <laughs> Okay. Maybe you move to the front of the line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You move to the front of the line. Exactly. That's a better okay. way to put it. There you go. There, but there are, they have a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they, I, you might have to fill out an SF-86. I don't know. It's not Department of Defense. I know that with Department of Defense, you have to fill out an SF-86 where they also ask a lot of questions. Uh, but in Department of Justice and, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, I actually called the field office one day and said, you know, I've heard this. Uh, I talked to a recruiter there and I said, I've heard this. Is this true? Because I want to be giving a talk. And she said, oh, absolutely. We are looking for people with computer science and accounting degrees. So don't mm. waste your time majoring in criminal justice. Major in <laughs> in accounting uh, or computer science because okay. 
that's what the uh, what the what the FBI wants is they need forensic accountants. Um, so that's an aside. Uh, federal authorities have yet to schedule a sentencing date, but he could spend up to twenty years in prison. This guy. Uh, mm. which is an improvement from the 125 years he could have faced if he went to trial. Now, wow! it occurs to me, Dave, here's the thing. These guys probably could have run these packs legally and still made a ton of money, mm-hmm. right? If they mm-hmm. didn't, if they didn't, if they gave more than $19 to these legitimate campaigns, right? To these campaigns, uh, if they if they did didn't do things like try to launder money through their through their providers, would they have committed a crime if they had taken exorbitant salaries? Is that illegal? I mean, you have to report it. I mean, you could just report it. Hey, here's our here's our uh, our balance. We spend most of our money on fundraising and then most of our money on administration, right. and uh, we give a small amount to the candidates. I mean, yeah. there are charities that do this all the time. Yeah. Uh, there are some charities out there with like a 75% expense ratio where 25 cents out of every dollar you give actually goes to those who who, who need it. And right. and the other 75 cents goes to promoting the charity and paying the people that work at the charity. I, yeah. you know, you can investigate these things, but there's nothing illegal about that. Right. As long as you're, as long as you're not fraudulent. So these guys mm-hmm. could have been doing this and yeah. playing both sides of the field and getting away with tons of money if they just weren't greedy about it. I was going to say, Joe, greed Right. Greed. That's right. <laughs> so right. Dave, I like you do not give money to PACs either. I, I just, yeah. I, I have no reason to trust them. I, I, I'm so distrustful of people because I'm, I guess I'm just old and jaded now, Dave. I don't know. <laughs> right. The right. weight of the world has crushed your spirit. It has. So. It has crushed my soul. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's all right, Joe. Later on, I'll, I'll give you a big hug and it'll be all, it'll feel much better. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Dave. Well, you know, a couple things here. First of all, uh, I'm happy that justice is going after these folks and, and that there is active investigation, scrutiny, and, and oversight of yes. these sorts of things. I think this is pro- – in my mind, if you'd asked me about some of these political action committees, I probably would have at first glance thought it was the Wild West out there that, that – because we hear so much about all of this dark money and, you know, companies are people and there's just so many ways right. for people to – to have their money weave its way through these systems. And in many ways, it's legitimate and, and you know, part of our, our, our First Amendment values and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it, it, it's just an avenue for uh, bad stuff like this. And, and so uh, I am I'm happy uh, and I, I guess a little surprised to hear the degree to which justice is going after them. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy to recalibrate my expectations based on that. Did I ever tell um, I you the Joe Kerrigan idea for campaign finance reform? No. It's a, it's a very simple law. It just says that if you cannot physically vote for somebody, then you may not contribute to their campaign. Hmm. That's the law. That way you still get the the first amendment protection, right? Because, you know, your 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 first amendment right to support your candidate is is a guaranteed First Amendment right, but that I don't think that gives you the right to support somebody else, a candidate you don't have any uh, any skin in the game with, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't think it, it gives you the right to uh, to m- meddle in campaigns outside of the jurisdiction in which you live. Now mm-hmm. that gives you the right to um, to 
send money to your people running for your your Congress, your House of Representatives seat, any Senate seat, because Senate, uh, Senate seats are uh, across statewide, and then whatever president you want to vote for, right? Right. Um, those kind of things. But if you have a PAC, then that PAC has to demonstrate that the money it's giving to that candidate has come from people that can legally vote for that person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a, a reasonable requirement. <laughs> okay. I don't think that's a, but you know what? Like term limits, Dave, that will never get voted in. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm going to count on our listeners to write in and tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> right. right. It'll never happen. I mean, it would be nice, but you know right. these these guys right. are never going to vote themselves less money. That would be stupid. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But that's All right. that's well. Now I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> all right, well, we will have links to all of our stories here in the show notes. Uh, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, this week we have a stringer. That's where we have a bunch of small catches of the days mm. uh, where I just put them together as, as a list. Like first we have an SMS from Keith who writes, it's been a while since I've seen a letter substitution fishing link. So Dave, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and, and read this text message that came through. It says wood forest. We couldn't verify a store charge made on your card. Visit HTTPS wadfrest one.org to verify. Right. So this is, this is Wood Forest Finance, which is our bank, which is a bank out of Texas. I had never heard of it before, but they actually mm-hmm. have branches here in Maryland. Did you know that? Really? Right. Yeah. Okay. News to me. Yep. Me too. Um, and obviously, this is not Wood Forest sending you the text message because it's W0D Frest 1. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah. it's it's trying to look like a link shortener. Uh, and you know, it's designed to panic you and to get you to click on the link to go enter your banking credentials. Right. The next one is another SMS that comes from Joseph, who writes, Hello, Joe and Dave. This one almost got I'm me. I'm sorry, what? Oh, wait, wait, wait. What was that? Wait. Okay. Hello, jo- hello, Dave and Joe. Ah, there it is. There it is. Uh, and <laughs> I read it as he wrote it. The listener, look at it. Here it is, Dave. You see this right here on my desk? Another one of those worms. And that can I opened months right. ago. Okay. Uh, <laughs> He says this one almost got me, and he has a uh, a laughing face, so I don't think it's 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 it did actually get him. But it comes from an email address, uh, and it's just a random string of characters at hotmail.com. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and read this one? It says 08912. Two lines of credits were opened in your name on 0804, dropping your scores 81 points, and today's the last day to dispute or close. And then there's a, a link in there that's just a long string of characters. But credit, my, and Joseph points this out, credit is spelled C-R-E-D apostrophe T. Right. Right. Uh, I guess to get by filters that are looking for the word credit? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, some kind of natural language processing or something. Huh. Yep. And finally, the last one comes from Chad, super listener Chad, who had some fun with a Facebook scammer. Uh, so this is a short one, but you want to do the scammer and I'll play Chad? Sure. It starts okay. out and it says, 
Congratulations! You are chosen as the winner today. Grab your prize now by confirming the list on the official site in my top post before I declare your prize has expired. Quickly, quickly, get your present now. <laughs> Reply ready if you are ready. Yeah, no thanks. This looks like some kind of scam. Better luck with your next victim. This is real. There is no fraud here. Sure it is, I'm sure. So how come the link on your Facebook doesn't go to your company website? Try to tell the screenshot what you mean. Um, pretty sure your translation software just glitched. What? What does the screenshot want from me? Capture the registration screen. What if it's running too fast to catch? <laughs> so yeah. here's here's the thing. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> favorite things in uh, you ever pick up a dictionary and just read it? Sure, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Back when I was a kid in, in fourth grade, I still remember this guy, Rob Zaharyashevitz. He said he he had just picked up a dictionary and was just summing through it, and he goes, "Wow, look at the word run," and we all look run over to the dictionary and look at it. And the word run has this like, f like three pages of definitions or three columns of definitions in it. It's a really huh. long set of definitions. If you huh. ever get the inkling to do it, just go to a standard full dictionary and look it up. It's amazing how much <laughs> we use that word in English language. So you can really jam up somebody's translation software just by, just by um, using that word somewhere back, which I think is what Ch Chad wound up doing here. I don't know if he did that consciously, but... I'll bet that was the effect. Hmm. All right. Well, those are our catches of the day. Uh, again, we would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us at hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Joe, we got a special treat this week. Uh, you took the interviewing duties this week. And I did you spoke, indeed. You spoke with uh, Mallory Safoste. She is a reporter at Baltimore's WMAR2 News. Uh, and she has a regular segment that she uh, shares with her audience. It's called Matter for Mallory. And it's really a, I guess, it, would it be fair to say it's a consumer advocacy spot, that yeah. sort of thing? It's yeah. like, it's like uh, you know, so-and-so on your side, you know. Right, sure. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those kind of things, but it, yeah, it's consumer advocate. You know, a lot of times when you're a consumer and you're getting absolutely just ignored by a company, right. the best thing to do is call media attention to it because that, that immediately gets the issue resolved. And it's a shame yeah. that you have to do that. Uh, but it's, a, it's, it's a, uh, I would almost qualify it as a public service, uh, mm -hmm. that broadcasters offer and it's a wonderful public service. And I love seeing, uh, seeing these people shape up and go, oh, we're very sorry about this. <laughs> All right. Well, here's Joe's conversation with Mallory Safoste. Yeah, for the last several months, uh, we've been focusing a lot on food stamps and temporary cash assistance that's being stolen um, from customers who, who benefit from these programs. And what's been happening is the benefits are deposited onto their cards around midnight on the third of the month or so. And by the morning, these victims report that the money was taken. It was withdrawn from an ATM either locally or across the country. They go to the Department of Human Services. They say, hey, someone took my benefits. My card was at my home with me. It was under my mattress. I have no idea how someone was able to get a hold of these benefits, but they withdrew them 
And now I don't have the money that I need to buy food for my children to pay my rent. Um, and the Department of Human Services basically says, you know, we we can't replace that money for you, or we know that they can actually. Uh, D.C. and California are doing it. But here in Maryland, they say that they don't have funds appropriated to replace these benefits. So these families just have to get by until the next month and then hope it doesn't happen again. And as far as how this is happening, the department believes that thieves are skimming then cloning these cards. They're they're kind of like debit cards. They require a PIN number. So it, it would probably be on a terminal that would require a PIN, such as at a grocery store or an ATM, maybe even at the gas station. And that's how they're obtaining these benefits. But it's also happening on a much larger scale. So just to give you an idea, last year in Maryland, food stamps and temporary cash assistance stolen, it was around $92,000. For the first six months of 2022, it's been over $286,000. That's more than triple in just the first six months. So this is obviously happening on a much larger scale now. We know it's a nationwide issue, but the vendor who is supplying these cards in Maryland, it's a vendor conduit. The state is paying them $30 million. They haven't yet added any additional security features such as card locking or you know, the ability to call and report this fraud or, or any suspicious activity and before it happens. Um, so we haven't, is, we haven't seen that happen. Is there a chip on the card? There's not a chip on this on these cards, and these that's cards kind of what chipless. we saw. Yes, that's what we saw with um, unemployment benefits, where a lot of fraud was happening with those. And we noticed these were Bank of America issued debit cards that did not have chip card technology. Compared to if you were a regular bank customer, you would be issued a card with a chip. So, is there a reason that Conduent isn't issuing chips? Have you talked to them? Yes, we've tried talking to Conduent. We've asked to interview them, and they basically keep directing us to the Department of Human Services. Um, they say to direct our questions to them, which we have. And part of our line of questioning has, how do you plan to make these cards more secure? How can you guarantee to these victims that their money isn't going to get stolen again and that you don't even plan to replace it? Um, they have, they've just been vague in, in their responses and saying that they are working on ideas and they're you know, moving forward with some features, but they haven't specifically said what or when. So if someone is victimized, are they entitled at least to get a new card so the victimization cannot be repeated? Yes, yes. They are automatically issued a new card. These people are encouraged to create a different PIN, obviously. But we've actually seen this happen to one woman who was issued a brand new card. It happened to her twice, two months in a row. She has no idea how. She hasn't shared this card with anyone um, or her PIN number. And yet, in two months, she's lost $2,200. And again, this is money she desperately needs to care for herself and her kids. So you're in contact with this woman that's been victimized twice. Have you asked her if she goes to the same stores? Yeah. So I've asked her, um, you know, where exactly do you use this card? Um, she says a limited number of places, you know, it might be one grocery store or one ATM, but it's not, it's never just one place in particular. She's gone to different ATMs, different grocery stores. So the fact that this would happen twice is, is unique. She has her own suspicions that maybe it's someone within the department, which is, you know, a huge allegation. We haven't been able to prove that or substantiate that in any way. For all right. we know, again, this is still um, the product of skimming and cloning, but it is suspicious exactly 
how many people this has impacted in such a short amount of time. Do you have any idea of the scope of the number of victims? Um, Yeah, so we know that in the first six months, it's been about almost 400 reports of stolen benefits, whether that's temporary cash assistance or food stamps. It's mostly temporary cash assistance. And again, compared to 2021, it was 137 reports. So it's, it's gone up dramatically. We ask the Department of Human Services and the governor's office why more isn't being done to help these victims, considering this money is being taken, no fault of their own, um, that they're not involved in this fraud. At least, you know, they, they file police reports. Um, they go through all the proper channels. And like I said, in California and D.C., they are replacing those benefits. So why aren't they doing that here in Maryland? The response I keep getting is that these are federal funds um, that supply these programs. So we can't replace them with federal funds. However, they can replace it with state and local money. And there is in Maryland right now a $3.6 billion surplus. So why can't they use some of that money to help these victims? We reached out to the governor's office recently, and they said that they are familiar with our reporting on this issue. They keep discussing it with the department and the federal administration, and that they will keep us posted on any developments. We've spoken to state senators who are very concerned about this issue. They've discussed maybe putting forth some legislation when they're back in session, but they are not right now. And then also we've been in touch with Congressman Ruppersberger's office, who is working on drafting federal legislation aimed at addressing this issue. However, that can take time as well. It it can. And for those of our listeners who are not from Maryland, the Maryland General Assembly is only in session from like January through middle of April. And that's it. So for the rest of the year, they're not even in Annapolis. They're out doing whatever else they do. Uh, does anybody have any plans for a solution to this? Have you heard any any ideas from the uh, from from the departments that provide these benefits, or from the governor's office about what next? What are we going to do? What's the what's a plan? Unfortunately, no, we haven't heard what the plan is. Um, like I mentioned, the Department of Human Services said that they are in discussions with Conduit as far as implementing new security features for these cards. However, you know, as many people in Maryland are aware, we have an outgoing administration um, with the governor. So there's likely to be turnover with the head of the Department of Human Services. So maybe in November, we will see major changes or when the General Assembly is back in session. But so far, we haven't seen much action on this issue. Most unfortunate, I would say. Uh, What is going on in the baby formula realm. There's a real shortage on baby formula right now. We have the Biden administration running programs, uh, basically flying in baby formula. I imagine that because there's a shortage, there's a lot of opportunities for scams around around this product. Sadly, yes. This is despicable that scammers would be going after moms trying to feed their infants, but scammers have infiltrated these formula finding groups And they are going after these moms to try to take what money they can. And another unfortunate aspect of this is a lot of women use WIC, um, women, infant, children benefits, to buy formula. But when you're buying that from other moms, you can't. So you're using money out of your own pockets, your savings, to try to buy formula, sometimes above market value, in order to get the exact brand that you need to feed your child. Um, These groups are on Facebook. That's where moms are going. They're posting, you know, some of the, these groups have had to implement rules because the scams have gotten so out of control. 
So these are just supposed to be formula finding groups. When you see this kind of formula at a store, you post it and you say the location. Or if you're local, you can maybe agree to meet up. It's not supposed to be a reselling site, but for some of these moms, when they are desperate and they can't find it anywhere close by, that's when they will get in contact with someone who might be in a different state. And that's what happened to Jessica Castle. She's a mom up in Cecil County. She has a premature baby and her baby needed a certain kind of formula. She went to eight different stores around her, couldn't find it anywhere, found a mom on Facebook through one of these formula finding groups who said she had what she needed and and she would give it to her at a reasonable cost. So she reached out to her and, and she knew that scammers were infiltrating these groups. So she said, you know, listen, can you send me the ship, shipping and tracking information first and then I'll send you payment. And the mom came back and said, listen, I'm at the grocery store. I need to buy diapers for my baby. I really need that money now. Being a mom herself, she didn't want her child to go without diapers. So she sent half of the money. Formula is pretty expensive. Um, mm-hmm. I think she wanted like three cans for $50. So she sent half the money. Then um, the woman came back and said, you know, it's an additional $25 for ship shipping. So she sent that. The woman then sent her tracking information from USPS, which you can do, but she never dropped off the items. So what ended up happening was the mom never received the formula. She sent the money via Cash App, which you have little recourse if you are scammed. So she never got the formula she needed and she was out this money. And, you know, looking back $80, it's not an immense amount of money, but she's heard of other moms losing $300, um, more than that. And again, you know, this is money they need, plus they need to feed their kids. Right. Initially, the first thing I think is, you know, don't mail order formula for other safety and security reasons, right? But it goes back to the, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Items lower on that pyramid tend to be something of much higher priority. Uh, so if, you're, if, if your baby is hungry, you are going to take risks that you wouldn't otherwise take, like perhaps mail ordering formula from a perfect stranger. Exactly. And, and that's why people are now encouraging anyone going on these groups, find the local community group in your area so that you can do these exchanges in person. If you don't feel safe, do it at a police station. Then you can actually see the formula, get it, inspect the expiration date, see if it's been opened, and then you can do the exchange there. Um, but to your point, when this formula was so scarce, you'll really go to whatever great lengths you need to to get what you need for your child. Yeah, the case of Jessica is particularly heartbreaking because she has a premature child and that child needs special care and needs a particular kind of formula. Uh, and a substitution is not going to be an option for her. No, and, and that's what many of these moms are, are experiencing. Uh, fortunately, uh, this issue has gotten better. Jessica can now find the formula that she needs on shelves, but it hasn't completely gone away. So we are still seeing that thousands of moms are participating in these groups and they are sharing documents in these groups with hundreds of names of people that they suspect are scammers or have scammed other moms. Uh, have they turned those names over to the social media companies? I have not asked that question. I, I suspect that the admins would or at least report these accounts, which you should do whenever you are speaking to someone who you believe is a scammer. Flag the account, report them to the social media platform that it's on as far as repercussions or what will happen. I mean, there's nothing stopping them from just creating a new account and doing it again, which is why in these groups, another rule is not to post 
um, stock images of formula that you have to take a picture of the formula with your full name and the state that you're located in, in front of the formula. So then that way it can't as as easily be replicated. I get the feeling that when these admins uh, report these things, report these users to the platforms that very little happens. That's my suspicion. I'm not a big fan of social media. I've made no secrets about that on the show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot like my my phrase for it is screaming into the void. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they'll just pop up with another account and try it again and keep going badly. Absolutely. Mallory, thank you for coming on. These are some scams that our listeners should be well aware of, as well as everybody. Uh, Mallory Safaste from WMIR, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Joe. All right, Joe. Uh, interesting stuff here. Um, yeah. You know, a couple things caught my ear. First of all, uh, my heart goes out to all the people who are having their benefits stolen from them. Yeah. Uh, this whole thing with the ATM cards compromised and their accounts drained. Uh, I find I was surprised to learn and I am um, angered that these cards have no chips. Yeah, me too. Right? That was How many years have we had chips on all the cards that we have now? It's been uh, years. At least four years, at least. Yeah. But why not the benefit cards? Right. So my my thought is... You know, being poor shouldn't mean that you lack security protections, right? right? Requiring or, or you know, taking advantage of public assistance shouldn't mean that you're comparatively a sitting duck compared to folks who have just regular debit cards. And there's yeah. nothing exotic about a, a debit card with a chip in it anymore. I, I, how much could these companies possibly be saving? And I'm sure it's a little bit, and that's why they're doing it, you know. <laughs> So, right, but I, I I'm hot under the collar about it, Joe. It just shouldn't. I, I be am this too, way. and I'd I'd like to see some follow up on this. And uh, actually, Mallory and I talked about that towards the end of the interview. I think where we talked about yeah. following up on this to see what the end result is with this, and and if the state of Maryland, because these were Maryland uh, Maryland residents who were, who were getting benefits from Maryland, if the state of Maryland is going to actually make these people whole, it's going to cost them more money to do that. Uh, then it would have cost them just to put chips in the card, right? right. It would probably cost them more money to to uh, to secure the benefits of these people for one week than it would. That would probably cost many times more than just putting the chips in the card because those are done en masse. That is a mass produ- production process. It is yeah. not something that's individually done. It, it's yeah. already a solved problem. Why don't they have it? I didn't. I, if you'd asked me, I wouldn't have thought you could get a card without a chip. But yeah. I guess I guess you can. You absolutely. Well, you know how you do it, Dave. You be poor. That's how you yeah. do it. And yeah. and then you you apply for a, a benefit, a, a state provided benefit, and the state goes, "Oh, here's your completely unprotected pin, uh, chipless right. card. Thank you." No, it, it's sad and uh, it's frustrating. And as I say, my heart goes out to the people who've fallen victim to this. It's the you know, it's the people who can least afford to right. Yeah, it's the most vulnerable them. population. Um, right. And right. and it's a waste of, of valuable tax dollars as well. These tax yeah. dollars are going to some scammer. And, yeah. it, you know, and these people probably didn't do anything wrong. They probably went to some store that uh, that had a skimmer on the mm-hmm. on on the uh, on top of the, the payment system and 
totally, they probably did nothing malicious here. I, I can yeah. absolutely see how this is something where they're just probably going through their daily process of, of buying food one time and get, got their, uh, their benefit card skimmed. And now those guys are up at midnight as soon as those benefits are deposited in the, into their accounts uh, and they're transferring the money out. Yeah. I wonder also, if, are there other technological solutions to this or at least ways to slow it down? You know, could there be something where if someone goes in and tries to drain the account, tries to get everything out of it all at once, does that right. throw up a flag or put up a roadblock or some kind of extra layer of verification, something like that, to, to just keep these folks from being victimized this way? Yeah, I um, mean, I don't know. that's... That might be good, but if you've got somebody who is relying on cash assistance to pay rent, that might be exactly what they do. Yeah, uh, So it, that may be counter to the actual use case for the benefit. Right, right. So it's, the it's other a thing tough that problem. You all, it, it absolutely is. The other thing that you all discussed were these baby formula scams on Facebook groups. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hopefully, my, my sense is that the, the baby formula situation is easing up some and that it's not as dire as it was. Right. Um, but it really is. It's another example of just playing on people's desperation. I, I can't imagine a more desperate situation than having a hungry child. Yeah, we uh, were, you know. Mallory and I were talking about uh, one mom who has a premature baby and needs a specific kind of baby formula. Mm. Uh, and I can't think of a, of a worse situation uh to be in. That is one that, that I, and it, I should say, I can't think of a worse situation than needing a specific kind of formula and not having it available. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. then making yourself, uh, that alone, the, the fact that that, that situation exists, opens you up to, uh, these kind of attacks. Um, terrible. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to highlight here was just, I think this really, uh, points out the importance of local news, you know, uh, Mallory works at Baltimore's WMAR2, local affiliate. You know, they've been in the community, right. gosh, probably close to 100 years now. Yeah, <laughs> but, long uh, time. Yeah, and um, the media has undergone a lot of changes. Local newspapers have been devastated, and the local affiliates don't have the funds that they used to have. They're, they don't have the, you know, the influence, the viewership, all that kind of stuff, and that makes it harder for local news organizations to do the, do the work they do. And I would just put this out there as members of your community, please support these folks. You know, you, right. as a, your local community needs local news. You need people keeping an eye on this. You need the, there's, you know, there's a reason why uh, our, our media has uh, the, the powers that they have, you know, via our constitution. We need people keeping an eye on all levels of government and all levels of community uh, just to make sure that we know what's going on. And um, you know, Mallory's one of those folks who are out there doing that every day. And uh, my take is they they really deserve our support. I agree. I, I like the, uh, I don't, uh, I'm going to say this word, but I don't mean it in a negative way. I like the adversarial nature of a lot of, a lot of the reporting. Like here, I mean, it's mm. adversarial in that it's, uh, Mallory is, is working against, uh, you know, going, it, this is something that needs to be brought to light. Uh, right. This needs to be reported on. And I'm sure there are people in the state government would just, they would just be happy if this was just, please don't bother me with this. You <laughs> right. know, I've got, right. I've got millions right. of other things I'm working on, but no, this is an important issue. Yeah. Um, and that's how change happens. Right. Exactly. Uh, so 
you know, when I when I see other people challenging elected officials on TV, I'm I'm always very happy with that. I love seeing <laughs> that in local news. Right, right. All right. Well, again, uh, our appreciation to Mallory uh, Safoste from Baltimore's WMAR2 News for joining us. We always appreciate her taking the time for us. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 